0: So good welcome to plan, b. Welcome to plan b. well we're continuing with our series plan b this is uh week four we'll have two more weeks and we're really like i said covering this from a lot of different angles what do you do when god doesn't show up like you thought he would what do you do when you thought you'd only be at fries for not even 10 years and you're there for 34 years and, and you kind of go god what are you what are you doing and how's this all working out and what do you do when plan A fails? And you got to go with plan B or C or D. And so we've been looking at that over these last several weeks. And, and we're basing the series off a book by Pete Wilson. And it's a great read. encourage you to get that. And you'll hear a lot of these concepts uh, from, from that book. There's a story told of a, uh, a Chinese fable, maybe you've heard it, of a Chinese farmer, an old man, he's a farmer, and all he has is a son and his horse. And he's uh, you know living living life, and one day his only horse, his horse runs away, his only horse, his source of income, his source of livelihood. His neighbor comes and says to him, I'm so sorry, you lost your horse. That's such bad news. The farmer says, Good news, bad news. Who knows? Few days later, while he's just kind of waiting and just home, the horse returns, and this time it returns with four or five other wild horses. And and the son is able to capture them. And the neighbor comes over and he says, that's tremendous news. You are so fortunate. Now you have five horses to work with. And the old man says, good news? Bad news? Who knows? Well, the next day the son was now going to train and break in these horses. And so he he takes to that. And while he's training one of the horses, he gets bucked off the horse. He falls. He breaks both of his legs. Severe injury. He needs to, to, to obviously go through all kinds of rehabilitation. And the farmer comes over and he says, I'm so sorry, my friend. What bad news that your son, your only son to help you work the farm now, he has two broken legs. And the old man says, good news, bad news, who knows? Well, at that time, the, the country that they were living in, in China, they went to war. And the Imperial Army was calling all eligible men to come and fight. And as they came through town, guess what? They couldn't take his son because he wasn't fit to fight, and so he could stay home and continue to take care of the old man. And of course, the neighbor comes over and he says, wow, you are so fortunate to have your son to still be able to be home and to to take care of you. And he says, good news, bad news, finish it. Who knows? And I'm sure we could continue on with that story and go further and say, good news, bad news, who knows? I mean, does this happen in our life? I mean, plan A, plan B, plan C, is that good news? Is it bad news? Who knows? Depending on when you dive into that story of the old man, you might say life is great or life is down in the pits. And maybe maybe what you're feeling and, and what I want to talk about this morning, it's called whiplash. You guys know what whiplash is, <laughs> right? When you get quickly tossed from one side to the other. And many times, typically when we face a plan B scenario, it's a it's a whiplash scenario. We're heading down one path and all of a sudden things change. We get this job that we're really excited about, And we start the new job and pretty quickly realize that our boss is a real jerk. Right? And you go, what? This was the dream job. This is what I had hoped for, and now it just doesn't look so good after all. You finally get pregnant. You've been waiting. You've been trying for so long, and things are going well. You're excited, and you have a miscarriage. Whiplash. What do you do? You find the home of your dreams. This is the one we've been searching for. This is the one we've been looking for. and, And you're filling out the paperwork, and you realize... You don't get accepted, no approval for the loan, and you watch it go away, and you watch it sold to somebody else. On and on, there's so many different scenarios. Or how about this one? You buy a new-to-you car, you know, not a new car, but you get a a car, and you think, this is perfect, and you start driving it, and a couple days later, the transmission goes out, Right? And you take it in, you think this is horrible, you take it in, and the repair shop. The good news is, it was just low on fluids, and it's only going to be about 50 to 75 bucks to take care of it. You're going, oh, it's great news. But the bad news is, we found that there's a $500 other repair. I mean, it's just like, how does that happen when you go back and forth and you're tossed uh, to and fro and you go, well, how do I deal with life? How do I deal with, with that in my own life? And and the classic story of whiplash in Scripture is what I want to look at today. And this is a story is found in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, and it's the story of Joseph. If you guys know the story of Joseph, um, uh, we'll, we'll go through it. But if you, if you know anything about it, it's a story of tremendous whiplash. And so we're going to look at this story. It's from Genesis 37 through 50. And if we were just to sit down and read it, we would take the remainder of our time this morning. So we're not going to do that. But I'm going to play a little game with you, or a little interactive piece here with you. I'm going to tell you some of the story, and you have to respond whether it's good news or bad news. Okay? And so we'll kind of walk through the story this way, and then we'll look at some parts of of that story as we go along. So here's the background for the story. Joseph is born to his father Jacob. He is the youngest of, of 13 boys. So he's got 12 older brothers. And because he's born to his father in in his father's old age, his father kind of adopts him as his favorite son. He embraces him as his favorite son. And he gives him this beautiful, rich robe, this colorful robe that he didn't give to any of the the other brothers. From Joseph's perspective, what is going on here? Good news, right? Good news or bad news? Good news, I'm my dad's favorite. I get the nice robe, right? All these things are going on. Well, the brothers get jealous, and Joseph's the kind of guy who kind of rats them out, and he tells on them, and, and he tells them about this dream that he has where they're going to go bow down to him, and, and then one day he goes out, and he meets them in the fields, and he's bringing some stuff to them, and, and they see him coming, and they plot to kill him. Bad news. Good, you guys are catching on. All right, so <laughs> bad news. Good news, bad news? Who knows? So as they're plotting to kill him, the older brother steps in and he says, no, don't kill him. Okay, you guys got to be a little quicker on this. So when I pause, all right. The, he says, I'm not going to kill him. Good news, all right. But they throw him in a pit. All right, but they're not going to kill him. All right, and so as the brother's away, though, there comes a caravan of traders that are on their way to Egypt, and his brothers decide, we're going to sell him into slavery. Bad news. He's on his way to Egypt, and when he gets to Egypt, he's sold into slavery, but he's sold to the house of the, uh, the, 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 uh, palace guard, the highest in command next to Pharaoh and Potiphar's house. And so he gets this, this, this great home, at least if you're gonna be a slave, I guess, to be in that home. And, and as he's in that home, he's, he's working hard, and, and God is helping him, and he's eventually put in charge of this entire household. And what would Joseph say? That's... But as he's put in charge of this whole household, Potiphar's wife takes an interest in him. Now, some of you might say that's good news or bad news. No, she's, she, begins to, she begins to try to seduce him. And she wants him, and, she, and he's resisting, and he's saying, no, I can't do that. And, and in a moment where she tries to, to, to sleep with him, he runs away, and she grabs his shirt. And, and, and in the moment, she calls out for the guards and says, he tried to rape me. And Potiphar believes her and throws him in jail. Bad news. But he gets into jail. And while he's in jail, he's he's there, and and the the jail, you know, the captain of the jail starts noticing that Joseph is a pretty remarkable man, and and what he does goes well, and and eventually he puts him in charge of the entire jail. Good news. I mean, he's got some hope now. Things things could be going well. And while he's there, the two of the the, the Pharaoh's high officials, the baker and the um, and the cupbearer, are thrown in prison, and and, and they're so for them bad news, right? All right, but they have these dreams and and Joseph has the ability to interpret those dreams. God's given him that ability and he and they share these dreams with him. And he shares with the one of them, he says, "Look, well, one of for one of you in you know, the baker bad news, you're going to kind of get impaled on a pole and die. Bad news, okay? And the other one, you're going to get out of prison and and you'll be reinstated into the the service of Pharaoh, right? Good news for him. And and as it happens, the guy gets out and Joseph before he leaves says, Re- "When you get out of here, remember me." Okay? And the guy gets out. Good news for Joseph, right? I mean, it's good news. I mean, here, there's, there's hope now. Well, the guy forgets about him. And Joseph is in prison for two full years. Bad news. What's going on here? I mean, good news. Bad news. Good news. Bad news. I mean, talk about a, a classic example of, of whiplash where you're going, what is, what's happening here? And depending on where you dive into the story with Joseph, you might be thinking, man, things are going good for him. Oh, things are bad. Life is good depending on when you ask him. What about your life? Depending on where you look into your life right now, it's, it's part of the story. How do we know where it's going to turn out? How do you know where this is going? Is this good? Is this bad? You lost your job and you can't find one. We would say bad news. Who knows? Right? Struggles in your marriage and your relationship. Nobody wants struggles, but maybe maybe there's some good news that will come out of this. Maybe you got a bad diagnosis and it seems bleak. Good news, bad news, who knows? It's not finished. It's not over. Hold on. I think that's what we need to look at here. And I think that's what even LT was saying as he shared. Is, look, life continues and the plans change and the directions change. Who knows what God is working in all this? But I think there's a key question that, that I think we ask in all this. And that is, where is God? Where is God? And I think we have this idea that, that when, when we're following our plan A, and our plan A always has this, it goes up and to the right, right? If we chart out our life, it's up and to the right. Finances, up and to the right. You know, relationships, they're, they're going up in the right direction. Career path, up and to the right. And what we do is we say, when plan A, the way we want, works out, that must equal God is with us, right? Right? Because that's when we thank God. God, thank you for these things. And we go, God, God's been with us. God's been good. He's been taking us in the right direction. So if you look at Joseph's story, how many times was God with Joseph? About 50% of the time, right? Or less, right? I mean, if you think it's good news just to be put in charge of the prison, I mean, that's your, you know, you're your stretching. But, but, I mean, you might say, okay, 50% of the time, God was with Joseph. Where was God the other 50% of the time? I mean, that becomes the question. It almost sounds odd to say that God is only going to be with somebody or with us 50% of the time or only when things are going well. Where is God? Where is God when Joseph is abused, betrayed, abandoned, beat, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned, left to rot, forgotten for two years? Where is God? That becomes the question. And do you ever feel that way? Anyone with me here? God, where are you? I've been in this drought. I've been in this dry spell for two days. That's what you say when you're in high school or junior high, right? Two days is a long period of time. I mean, what's going on? And then, you know, it stretches to a week or a month. And maybe it's been years where you're going, God, this can't go on like this. Where are you? And we start wondering, where is God? Why, why me? Why now? Why don't you help me? If you feel that way, read the Psalms a little bit. The Psalms written by David, whose story we talked about um, a few weeks ago. He's constantly asking, God, where are you? I'm flooding my bed with tears. That's a lot of crying. That's what he says. And he, I cry out to you, but God, you seem silent. And I think from our human perspective, many times we feel that way. And when we're in this plan B, we go, God, this cannot possibly be your plan for my life. Because if it was, things would be going a lot better. But God was with Joseph. God was with him, even in, in these difficult times. And so we go through this, this whiplash in our life going, God, where are you? I want us to look at, at uh, Genesis chapter 39. If you can, turn with me there. Genesis chapter 39, first book in the Bible. We're going to look at page uh, 34. Because where is God? Where is God with Joseph? And in this chapter, the two things are happening. He gets sold into slavery to this this house, uh, Potiphar's house, and he gets thrown in prison. And if you look at Genesis chapter 39, and let's just start there. Now, when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Where was the Lord when he got sold into slavery? He was with Joseph, right? And then the story continues and he gets falsely accused, right? And he's thrown in in jail. And then we look at um, chapter 39, verse 19. After hearing his wife's story, after Potiphar heard his wife's story, uh, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. But the Lord was with Joseph there too. And he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The chief jailer had no more worries after that because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with Joseph him making everything run smoothly and successfully interesting isn't it i mean this is the lord being with joseph i mean when we think of that phrase and saying god was with us what do you think about when you say at times in your life when you say oh god thank you for being with us we think in terms of man that storm came through and we were protected god thank you for being with us Right, things were looking pretty bad, and things were looking pretty bleak in our marriage. But things turned around. God, thank you for being with us. I almost got into that car wreck, and the car swerved, and we survived, and I only got a minor injury. God, thank you for being with us. I got the house, I got that job, I got you know married that woman, or got that man, and, and God, thank you for being with us. We think about it in terms of God being with us when things are going well. But what about the difficulty difficult times? And that's what we're looking at here. Is God only with us 50% of the time? Now the key question becomes, what would your life look like or how would you look at your life if you were 100% confident that God is always with you? That right now in your plan B, in those things in your life that aren't going the way you had intended, what would it look like if you were 100% confident that God was actually with you in this difficult time, in this traumatic time, in this time of confusion or doubt or hurt? That's what we need to think about. Now, there's a story, um, a real story about Tammy Trent. She's a Christian artist, and about um, back in 2011 in September, she and her husband, whose name is Trent, she took his first name as her performing stage name. So, Tammy Trent and her husband Trent, they uh, they they'd known each other since they were 15 years old. They met in youth group at church, and they liked each other. And eventually, they started dating. They got married. They've been married for a lot of years. He became her manager. They spent um, you know, their life together on the road, doing concerts, all kinds of stuff. And, and we were incredibly close. He was, uh, you know, just a great husband to her. And so they were, they were going to take a missions trip in Jamaica. But before the mission trip, her husband surprised her and said, you know, let's take an extra week of vacation before that. We've been going hard on the road, and, and we just need a break. We need to unplug. We need to unwind. And so he surprised her with an extra week in Jamaica before that. She said they were having a wonderful time and, and just enjoying, you know, no cell phones and, and laptops and, and just uh, enjoying each other. And on the last day, he wanted to go diving. He was an experienced diver, uh, and and but this time he wanted to go free diving. And this is the Blue Lagoon uh, in, in Jamaica, a well-known place. And so they he said, you know, I just want to go for like 15 minutes, half an hour and, and do a dive. And so she waited on the dock uh, in an area where he could sit and and he put his wetsuit on and just a mask, no snorkel, no gear, and, and, and went out to the uh, to the blue lagoon. And he kind of waved to her. She waved back, took a couple pictures, and then he went under the water. And she would watch him. And he'd come up every couple minutes, you know, catch his breath and go back d- down. She got distracted and was watching another boat and some other people. And, and it was probably 15, 20 minutes later, she realized, I haven't been watching for my husband. So she frantically looks out over the water waiting for him to come up. Two minutes passed. Three minutes passed. Five minutes pass. He never came up. She started getting frantic. She started getting, getting irate, going, what, what do we do? She's trying to call people. She called to another boat, send out other divers. They began looking for him. And as that day ended, they hadn't found him, and she knew. She knew what was going to happen. The next morning, the divers finally found him after, you know, when they started searching again in the daylight. And sure enough, you know, he, he had drowned. And she said her world was just spinning. I mean, how could this happen to her? I mean, they were doing God's will, they were obeying what He wanted, they were serving Him, they had a great marriage, and and she said it was just all the questions, all the things came flooding in. But she said, you know, the, the, the things she always sings about, the songs she writes about, now she was experiencing it. Going, You know, I sing to other people about comfort and hope. What does this mean for her? But she felt completely isolated. She felt completely alone and was just crying and sobbing and obviously wanting family nearby, and she's in another country. While she's in, that, in, in her hotel room, so there came a knock on the door. And somebody said, you know, Tammy, you need to turn on the TV. Something terrible is happening in the United States. It was September 11th. And she saw, as she turned on the TV, airplanes crashing into the World Trade Center towers. Well, you know what happened after that? No travel, right? All travel was ceased during that time. And so none of her family could get to her. And so here she is in Jamaica. She's just lost her husband. She's feeling completely alone, obviously worried. What's happening to the world at large, to her world being rocked? And she began to pray. And she just called, God, show me in some way. I just need to know that you're here. I need some comfort. Nobody else is around. I need some comfort. She had actually gone into the bathroom and had fallen asleep in the bathroom. She'd taken a blanket with her and just kind of curled up there and was, was weeping, grieving deeply, sobbing loudly. In the afternoon, she looked up and she just saw that her room was kind of trashed, and, and, and she was just, she, she just had the courage and had the strength. She got up and she thought, you know, I'm just going to ask somebody to clean my room. She'd been praying for God to just to send me someone. Send me someone to comfort me, someone to, to let me know that you're here. So she opens the door in the hallway and she finds, um, you know, a maid wearing her Hilton, you know, hotel uniform. She said, Could you come in here and, and please make up my room? And the woman immediately comes over and she says, Are you the woman who's been crying, who's been sobbing? She said, Yeah. She said, you're not just sad over something, you're grieving, aren't you? And she told her the story the woman hadn't heard. She said, I've been trying to get to you. And she said, can I hold you? She said, yes. And she gave her a hug. She said, can I pray with you? Yes. And Tammy says in that moment, it was like such an affirmation for her to know that even in this incredibly dark time, God was with her. God was there, and he didn't forget her, and he knew, she knew that he would be there and help her through this. Eventually, family was able to come. She tells the story and she says, you know what, even in this dark time, even in these dark moments when it felt like her world was unraveling, she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was there. Now we don't always get to know and maybe see such tangible expressions where we go, God, I pray for something and immediately it happens. But I think it's just this reminder to us that even when things are very difficult, we need to know that God is with us, that we are not alone. Like Joseph feeling abandoned in prison, but God was there. And I think we think when, when uh, you know, when we're in these difficult situations, that God's going to turn it around. God being with us does not equal things going better. There's the hope you needed to hear this morning, right? That's why we come to church. I mean, isn't I thought in church that's what you hear? God comes in your life and everything gets better. I'm guilty of saying those kinds of things probably at different times, trying to overbill what faith is. That once you have God in your life, everything's gonna go perfect, everything's gonna go well, your marriage will be restored, your addictions are gonna be over, you're not, you know, you're gonna have no financial worries, things are just gonna go awesome with God. But what I see, the older I get, the more I hear stories like this and realize, just because God is with us doesn't mean that everything is going the way we hoped. Joseph was still in prison. He still felt abandoned. The cancer still strikes. The miscarriage still happens. The job is still lost. You are still in debt, even if you become a follower of Christ. You still wrestle with your addiction, perhaps. Maybe God will free you. I don't know that God can work in amazing ways. God does break the bondage of some of those things in powerful ways. But just because God is with us doesn't mean that life is smooth and easy. But we have the comfort of knowing that God is in control that there's an anchor, and that we don't have to worry about where these things are going and what God is going to do. And so the question comes is, well, what is God's plan? What is God's plan for us? What is his will? And and this concept rattles our idea of God's will. Because when we look at God's will for our lives, you know what we're always asking? We're asking, what, when, and where? That's what we're asking. God, what's going to happen next? When is it going to happen? Where is it going to happen? Typically, we want it when... (laughs) now, where, right here, or in Hawaii, or in whatever, you know, we, whatever you think, or at this company that you think is better, or whatever, you know, and, and, and we, we answer the questions in our own way, but God is not that concerned or as concerned about those things as he is about how we respond, and who we are becoming in the process, and see, this is the thing, these, these times, these plan B times become very important shaping times in our lives, and the question doesn't become, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to get me out of this? It's how do we respond? Who is God in this? And how do we understand his plan and his will and, who, and, and his presence in our lives? And then how do we respond? Because that becomes the question is, who is God shaping us to become? Our faith must rest on who Christ is and whose we are. So it comes back to the question, what would you do and how would you live, live differently if you understood that God was always with you? And, he, and he's trying to shape you through this time. Here's some things that I want you to think about if you're in a difficult plan B situation. How God might be shaping you. Maybe he's shaping you to become someone stronger. Has that ever happened through a difficult time? You've become stronger? Maybe he's trying to make you weaker. You've been too independent. Too, doing it, too much doing it on your own. Maybe he's trying to make you more dependent on him. How about this? He's trying to make you more humble. Plan B's have a way of humbling us when life doesn't go the way we had set it out. Or maybe he's trying to make you more patient. Maybe he's trying to teach you contentment. Maybe he wants you to become more considerate. See, these ways of these times, they have a way of of forming us and shaping us. And even though we hate them, God is teaching us something. Some of the difficulties and challenges that we faced as a church and that I've faced personally in this last year have been incredibly humbling experiences. I love having a plan. I love knowing what's next. I love setting the course and going, we'll do this, and the next we'll do this, and next we'll do this. And when we've done that for five years and things aren't going the way that I'd hoped, I step back and kind of go, I don't know what I'm doing. That's humbling. God, you got to come in. you got to step in. you got to do something. I surrender. God's going, yes. Boy, you're a stubborn one. Boy, it takes you a long time to get it. And then I find out things start heading back, going in the right direction again, and pretty soon I'm back to taking the reins. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I had somebody praying for me that said, I pray that God would keep you weak and dependent. And I thought, wow, thank you for that prayer. (laughs) But I think that's the lesson. I think that's the teaching. God is, in some ways, we're different, and God is trying to shape us. We don't know what God is trying to do. There's a great passage, and it's, it's in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9. Let me just read that to you. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9 verse 8 and 9. Here's God speaking. He says, my thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And here we are thinking we can figure this thing out. We don't know what God is up to. Good news, bad news, who knows? But one thing I do know with God, he is working out his plan, and his will, and he will take whatever circumstance and he will find a way to redeem it for his good. See, we don't understand God's ways. This last week, we, we took our kids to get flu shots and ourselves to get flu shots. And, and my youngest two-year-old had to get uh, some vaccinations too, and so she got four shots. Okay. Now here we are taking them into the doctor's office. Think about this from a perspective of parents equals gods, and kids equals us. right? Why would a loving parent, a.k.a. Mark and Shannon, take their children to have someone inject them with a sharp, pointy thing four times in their arm. Is that a loving thing that a parent does? I mean, think about it from Anaya's two-year-old perspective, or for that matter, any of our kids' perspective. How can that be a loving thing to do? And yet, here we are in the doctor's office, and what is my role? Dad, hold him on your lap. So I take my daughter, I put her on my lap, and then it's like, Dad, clamp her other arm down. So I clamp her other arm down. I'm trying to comfort at the same time. It's going to be okay, and yet... Here, this child is confused, going, you're the father who's supposed to protect me and love me, and there's this mean old woman with a long, sharp, pointy thing ready to inject me, and I've seen my sister scream, and we're holding her. See, I think it's like that in life many times. We cannot see from God's perspective. There are painful situations where in. There are times where we feel like we're getting a shot in the arm, and things look difficult. God is maybe saying, you know what? I may not be asking, you know, God may not be making this thing happen but maybe he's allowing it. And maybe he's just saying, you know what? You're growing in this time, and I want to help you become who you can become. Now, Joseph's story didn't end with him being in prison. He didn't stay there for two years, although it says you know he's there for two full years. And the good news is, the guy, the cupbearer, a few years later, the pharaoh was having a dream. And the cupbearer goes, I remember this guy in prison, Joseph. He interpreted my dream. And, and I bet you he can maybe... At least it's worth a shot. See if he can interpret your dream. He said, get me, Joseph, and bring him here. So now Joseph, from prison, standing before Pharaoh, he interprets the dream and says, look, there's seven years. There's going to be uh, just plenty and abundance in this land, and then there are going to be seven years of famine and drought. And I suggest you put some wise person in charge of figuring out how to store up, you know, the grain during the years of you know, prosperity, and so that we'll survive the years of drought. And Pharaoh says, you know what? I think you're that guy. And he puts Joseph in charge, and Pharaoh says, look, nobody in all of Egypt will be higher in position than you, the Pharaoh, and then you. And so Joseph gets this incredible position of honor. Well, guess what happens? The drought, you know, seven years go well, the grains are, you know, the fields are ripe, and he's collecting them, he's storing them up in barns, and and then the seven years of drought hit. Well, it didn't just affect Egypt, it affected all the surrounding nations. And who but Joseph's 12 brothers, are sent back, 11 of the 12, are sent back to go get grain in neighboring Egypt. And where do they show up to get grain? They show up in front of Joseph. And so here Joseph, after years and years of not having seen his brother, after all the anger and all the bitterness and all that could have built up, Joseph sees his brothers, but he continues to hide his identity behind his Egyptian, you know, royal garb and robes and who knows what else. His brothers didn't recognize him. He spoke, you know, he didn't speak, you know, he spoke in the Egyptian language and and so uh, they didn't recognize him. And then he begins to mess with their minds. It's kind of a fun story. You should, uh, you should read it. Um, I, won't, I don't have time to get into it here. But he, he sends them back and forth and all these different things. But, you know, he doesn't take out revenge on them. And eventually he reveals himself to his brothers, breaks down, He weeps, and he reveals himself to his brothers. His brothers freak out, <laughs> wouldn't you? They are now before the most powerful man in all of Egypt besides Pharaoh. And that's the guy. Their brother, who they sold into slavery, lied to their father about, pretended he was dead. They are afraid. And here's how Joseph responds to them. Let's look at Genesis chapter uh, 45. Genesis 45. We're looking at about verse uh, verse 4. So he says to them, come over here, he said. So they came closer. And then he said again, and he, begins, he reveals himself. And he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me, for God did it. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. And later on he says, yes, it was God who sent me here, not you. What an interesting perspective, isn't it? I mean, he, he steps back, and not that God sells people into slavery or asks them to be tortured and all these different things, but, but Joseph realized that there was something much bigger going on here, that God actually, even though they intended to take his life, God placed them in a position to restore his brothers' lives and to restore actually the entire nation. And then at the, uh, Joseph's father Jacob dies, you know, all of his brothers move into the land of Egypt. They're given land. They begin to prosper. And then Joseph's dad Jacob dies, the the father of all the brothers. And now the brothers are scared that maybe now that the father's dead, Joseph's going to take it out on him. But then we look at uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, and here's again what Joseph says to them. As far as I am concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to this high position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. Indeed, I myself will take care of you and your families. He says, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. That's the hope that we have. You may be the victim of some poor decisions by other people, you may just be dealing with health issues, things out of your control, or maybe you're the victim of your own bad decisions and ways that you have just destroyed some of your own life. But it is not beyond God's redemption. He is working his plan. Good news, bad news, I know. <laughs> God's working his plan, and he is with you. Be confident God is with you, and he is working his plan, and He's transforming you in the process. And some of you, I don't know, you may not know Christ. You may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the promise that that, that God sent us, he says, look, if we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he will wipe the slate clean. He says, here's a fresh beginning. Talk about the ultimate plan B. You get a do-over. You get to start again. You get to start fresh with Christ. And then he gives us this promise, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that's the promise we as believers hold on. And if, and if you have not experienced that relationship with Christ, where he says, look, invite me into your life. Let me be the Lord and the leader of your life. I want to be with you. You have an opportunity to, to do that. You simply reach out to God and you say, Lord, I'm here. I surrender my life to you. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that died for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe you're Your Lord. And I want to surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sins and my past and my mistakes. I want to follow you. And God honors that. And in that moment, spiritual rebirth takes place in our lives. And God's presence is always with us. Let's bow our heads. Father, I I think about the plan B situations that we're all experiencing in this room. Where life just isn't turning out like we hoped. Father, some people are in a very difficult spot right now. And maybe at the same time there are good things happening, there are difficult things happening, maybe both at the same time. But God, in those challenging moments, these difficult times, I pray that your spirit would be so richly felt. God, that we know that you are with us and you are working the plan. Even though we don't understand it, Father, help us just to hold on to you to allow ourselves to keep being shaped and transformed and renewed by you. Father, if there are those here this morning who who don't have a personal relationship with you, who don't know you as Lord and Savior and have maybe just been coming to church or hearing these, these words, but God don't know you personally, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a very tangible way this morning, that they would surrender their lives to you and say, God, come into my life. Father, I need you. Forgive me. Set me on a new path. Give me a new beginning. Father, we celebrate new life that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen.